0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Surviving My Podcast, a survivor podcast about living with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD in support of all who have survived the trauma of abuse. Join me as we heal together, raise awareness, and inspire everyone to survive, thrive, and conquer their past. Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Surviving My Podcast. My name is Matt, and as always, I'm super stoked to have you back here for another show. If you are a first-time listener, I'm so glad you found the podcast. I hope you'll find it validating and encouraging for both you and the survivor in your life. And if you are a returning listener, I'm always glad to have you guys back. You are all amazing. You help keep me going. Your insight, your comments, your support, it's just incredible. So thank you so much, and I'm glad that you are here once again. Um, So with that, we're going to jump right into, this is a podcast series during the month of April in honor of Child Abuse Prevention Month. And I'm back here with my very good friend and survivor coach Kelly. And we're going to talk about some ways that we have helped to prevent child abuse in, in the lives of our kids, but also some ways that perhaps the initial act of a child being abused perhaps could not have been prevented no matter what we did so there's lots to talk about we're gonna jump right into it Kelly what's going on how are you
1: oh doing good always good to talk to you
0: yep absolutely always my pleasure Um, so as I said this is child abuse um, prevention month and of course uh, you know it's all over social media Twitter Facebook Instagram there's all types of hashtags stop child abuse Um, if you just Google child abuse prevention month you can see all types of resources documents, websites, um, campaigns, and things going on that we can all get involved in. So uh, specifically, I thought that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that we were going to talk about a little bit about your story and a little bit about my story and how in both of our cases, there may not have necessarily been a way that it could have been prevented. So I will let you start and you can share um, obviously as freely as you like and maybe describe how your situation could not have been prevented initially.
1: Well, when I was younger, uh, I I think, I wish I could remember the time. I can't remember if it was before or after it started, but a cousin of mine, a female cousin, uh, she had told me, confided in me, that her father was doing something to her. Of course, at that age, didn't realize that it was sexual abuse, but of course, I remember being young enough to not really understand or even know what she meant, and so she told me some of the things that he was doing to her and the excuses that he was giving to her for why he was doing it. And so uh, it still, as a little girl, I didn't understand it. And I think it was after that that she had started messing around with me when, when I, me and my mom visited them out of town. So the best thing for me was that it was out of town. So it only happened on occasion when we visited Uh, but she was, there was all boys, so she was the only girl cousin, so that's, we were friends, so it was very, you know, as you know, it can be very mind-boggling to a kid to understand it, make sense of it, or any of that, and my mom, uh, you know, had a very hard life on her own, so I didn't want to bother her with it. You know, I, even as a little kid, as much as I love my mom and as close as we were, I mean, we were poor. She worked two jobs. You know, she had gone through a, a divorce. I mean, enough of her bad stuff that as a kid, I thought, this is the last thing I want to dump on my mom. So that's why I think it couldn't have been prevented for me was because I don't think I could have told my mom. So that's kind of where I, I'm at as far as why I think that I couldn't have prevented it from
0: happening you know what that brings up a great point grooming and being afraid uh fear um you know to tell somebody i think my situation was kind of similar to that um you know i was sexually abused by a teenager up the street uh from where i lived at the time when i was between five and ten and honestly the the whole time frame even to this day is still a little bit fuzzy as to the actual ages but from what i've been able to piece together um, you know, working with a professional uh, for, for quite a while, doing my own research, um, you know, writing and that type of thing. I've been able to piece together that I was around 5 to 10 years old. And I experienced some of the things that you did. In my case, the kid who did it was a family friend. Well, the son of a family friend. Uh, his parents, his dad worked at the at the local garage where my parents always got their car worked on. So he knew my parents his mom was friends with my mom and they had known each other, I'm assuming long before I ever came along or, you know, long before I can remember their son was 16 or so. And there was never any reason for them seemingly to not trust this kid, to not trust the parents at all. And, you know, for the record, I have no idea if the parents ever knew about it and whatever, but honestly, like the first time that I, Ever experienced that abuse was he had this blue mini bike, you know, like way back in the day they had these little tiny blue mini bikes, like these fifty cc's, uh, you know, a little Honda. And up the street there was a hill, or I'm sorry, uh, like like a big field up the street, and it was maybe a half a block from my house. So whenever he would ride this mini bike around in the field, I could hear it clearly from my house, like even if I was inside because they were loud. And so the one day I remember walking up there. It was like, it had to be fall, um, but, you know, because I had on, you know, this flannel shirt and this jacket, and I walked up, and he saw me walking up there, riding around in a circle, and then, you know, he offered to give me a ride on, on this mini bike, and me being this little kid, I'm like, yes, that would be the coolest thing ever, and, you know, I, I can remember things that transpired during that ride around the field for a while, and as I remember, like, the abuse didn't happen that very first time. But after going back a couple of times, he invited me or, you know, coaxed me or groomed me, whatever you want to call it, to go back down to his house. And that's the first time that it happened. So in that particular case, the initial time, I don't know that it it could have been prevented only because, you know, several reasons. A, I, you know, he was a family friend. I had no reason to mistrust him. B, I was not, I had no idea what anything that he was doing was wrong because, he took time ahead of time to groom me that it was okay. So, you know, by the time I realized that that something wasn't right, something didn't feel good, he was already grooming me to never tell anyone. He was threatening my my family dog. He was telling me I wouldn't be cool. I would never fit in. And I had this th- this this innate desire to really want to fit in with friends. So, uh, you know, w- with the older kids, I mean, this kid was what ten years older than me, give or take, and. So in that initial instance, I don't think a mind could have been prevented either because I didn't know any better. And you could make the case that my parents maybe should have taught me more at that time. But at five years old, you know, I guess maybe either they did and I didn't listen or but to my knowledge that they, they never told me anything about inappropriate touching and all that type of thing. I think because they were a bit naive, which is no excuse, but it just kind of is what it is, you know?
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, and I think, you know, we had, we had said, talking about, you know, how, how do you go from not being able to prevent it to making a difference in your own kid's life? And when you first asked me to, to talk about this, I kind of thought, well, I don't even know what to say, because it seems so negative to say it can't be prevented. I mean, what an awful thing to hear from someone. But I think since we talked this morning about, well, how did we prevent it in our own kids? that we did something with what happened to us so that's the positive side of it and for me you know you always hear this you know be a good little boy be a good little girl you know and so i think we need to as survivors ourselves almost move away from that because i you know raised my daughters to be well-behaved and well-mannered however they have no problem saying no i don't care if you're a police officer you know they have respect that's in its place and so I think that's so important to teach kids is that yes people are due respect but it doesn't matter what uniform you're wearing what letters are behind your name anything if you have a bad feeling I don't care if it makes any sense whatsoever go with the feeling and that's kind of what how I uh, took on parenting when it came to that area is that if i had a bad feeling about anyone or any kind of just blip on the radar say they were going to go stay the night somewhere or somebody was going to babysit them for instance one time we went and we were going to go to a uh, marriage retreat or something like that and it was really important that we go to this and we couldn't find a sitter well uh last minute somebody found a free sitter well we went to their house we're dropping them off on our way to the retreat And I saw the dad or the stepdad, whatever he was, and it was all over me that this was not a good place. And I, as embarrassing as it felt, was like, sorry, I can't do this. And to this day, I swear, I think if my kids would have stayed there, that something would have happened to them.
0: That's just amazing. And there's, you know, there really is something to be said for, for trusting your gut. I mean, you are exactly right. I mean, maybe something wouldn't have happened, but it's quite possible that something would have in in some form. And the fact that you really had this feeling that something just wasn't right and you didn't go through with it. I mean, you could have saved your child's life. I mean, literally is what it comes down to. So I think that's super important. And as survivors, I think we are, we are keenly aware, obviously of what happened. We know what it feels like, so we um, are really in tune with, as a whole, I feel at least, with our kids and really trying to do all we can to prevent them to ever having to go through what we went through. And even if that means being a little overprotective at times, I think it's always better to be safe than sorry, to use a cliche there. But it's just there There are so many pressures right now these days. You know, when you and I were kids, not to date ourselves at all, but, you know, there was no social media um you know there was no computers and that brings up something else that we can maybe talk about a little bit is social media prevention i mean there's so many there's so many apps out there there's so many ways that 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 people can communicate and it gets so hard to track and so hard to keep tabs on your kids but but what are some things that you think of that we can really do um beyond just the normal like checking their phone periodically because it the peer pressure is so great for kids and if they are, you know, you know, wanting to fit in like I did, it's very easy to fall into a trap and find themselves in a situation like that.
1: Well, of course, my mind's going a million miles an hour with the directions it could possibly take, especially with me with having girls. You know, it's it's difficult. I mean, I think with, I guess it's totally different with boys. I don't know, but I think that educating your own self is so important because there are so many apps and that's changes daily with uh, apps for teens and young adults. So there's many apps that are designed to be kept away from parents so you don't know about it. So the only thing you can do is raise, to me, raise your kids the best that you can and have trust in them, teaching them along the way what is and isn't appropriate, the signs of, unfortunately, you have to talk about sex with your kids. I started talking about that at a very young age with my kids, very little information but if they asked they could ask me anything they wanted at any time because I wanted to be the one to tell them and give them the accurate answer as opposed to some other ten-year-old that had no idea what they were talking about so I think that's one thing that's key and another thing that's huge is not burying your own head in the sand and being sure you're educating yourself I remember I've always been about social media since the day it came out I'm all over it so my daughter, I guess she was probably in fourth, third, fourth grade, was on a computer, and we liked to play these certain computer games. Well, it was her turn to play a game on the computer, and I didn't even realize on this particular site that you could chat with people you were playing with, and so I saw her typing something. I asked her what she was doing, and she's like, oh, the person that I'm playing a game with is messaging me. I'm like, What? So when I went over there, sure enough, they were. Well, it said on there, ASL. And I thought, what the heck does that mean? You know, I had no idea you know what what they were doing. So I just clicked the X to X out of chat, you know, so you couldn't chat when you're playing with them. And I just said, be sure that you don't do that. So, you know, don't chat with anybody because you don't know who that is. They could be a predator or whatever. Whoever they are, you're, you're 10. You know, you don't need to be forming any relationships with people. So she said, OK. Well, lo and behold, that very Friday night, or whatever night it was, there was a 2020 show on. And it was all about sexual predators. And so they started giving these letters that people put on chats. And it, the first thing that came up, literally I caught this whole show midstream. And right when I caught it, it said, one of the things they'll put is ASL. And I thought, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Well, it was asking for their age, sex, and location And an adult wouldn't even know that, but a kid might. So I instantly thought, oh, my gosh, I'm all into social media. I need to know for my own benefit what all these letters mean. Because, you know, when texting first started, kids did all kinds of stuff. You know, parent over shoulder, you had no idea what it meant. You have to educate yourself as an adult.
0: You know, what? that is so true. And like you, I'm also very much into social media. You know, I use it for my blog and my podcast. Obviously, you know, you use it, of course, for your coaching and, you know, everything that you do, but also just for fun as well. You know, I mean, we both Mm -hmm. have Facebook accounts and all that kind of stuff and Twitter. Um, My son, he had asked me if he could have a Facebook account. And I'm like, you know, and now now this was about a year ago and I'm like, "Eh, I'm not really sure you're ready for that. And after that, you know, he kind of forgot about it after a while. But, he brings it up every once in a while, but it's not really something he really wants to do, thank goodness, but you mentioned about the apps, and you're right, like, he plays a lot of uh, MMOs online, you know, which is which is multiplayer games, like first-person shooters and whatnot, and other things, like Minecraft, and these apps, and these games, and you're right, you can chat with these people while you're playing, and I caught him chatting with people from time to time, and whenever I do, I'm like, dude, I said, you have got to be careful, and Um, You know, obviously now I know ways to kind of to check his his history on the computer, check his history on his phone. I have the passwords to all of his accounts. So I go in there periodically and just check his chat history and, you know, just to be safe. And it's not that I don't trust him, but it's that I don't trust other people. And you're right. It's so easy for kids to be to just get sucked into a chat with somebody. And you're right. You have no idea who it is, somebody across Mm -hmm. the world or wherever. And kids, especially, you know, 10 year olds, you know, teenagers, Young teenagers, they don't necessarily understand that something as as seemingly innocent as chatting with someone could really lead to a very uncomfortable and inappropriate situation. So educating ourselves. I think as a parent, you really have to educate yourself on you know what these apps do and what they're capable of and what you should and shouldn't allow your kids to put on their cell phones or have access to on their computers. And obviously talking to them regularly, checking in with them, watching for warning signs, you know, things that I saw on my son, um, you know, things that you may have seen in your kids with, you know, changes in behavior and moods and loss of appetite, all kinds of stuff. There's just so many things to keep track of. It's so hard. And you're right. These apps nowadays are designed to be secretive. And I mean, honestly, like in my youngest son's case, like I told him, I said, you can't have any app that I don't approve. And I may, I have an app for an app. that 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 makes me or you know that gives me the power to approve anything and track what he's doing and i think as a parent i struggle a bit with you know allowing him to have his privacy because he is getting older but at the same time i'm like this world is just getting crazier by the day and i think you really have to keep tabs on your kids just to keep them safe i mean i really think you do
1: i do too and you know we we've said several times during this call that it would be so easy to go a million different directions in this whole conversation. But, um, and you can tell me how it's different for you with having boys, but for me having daughters, I think it's so important to never, or not just tell your kids that you love them. Like, both of my daughters are beautiful, and it scares me, you know, because they are so pretty, and now that uh, they're getting older, they're 19 and 21, they I mean, it's a daily thing. They're both waitresses, and they both tell me these stories about older men that hit on them all the time. I'm just, it, you know, irks me so bad. But I think it's so important, as me as a mom, that my job is to constantly tell them all the things that I love about them. That has nothing to do with their beauty. It's all about I love that they're so loyal. I love that they have a great work ethic. I love that they're just so genuine. You know, all the things that they that I do love and admire about them. So they know it's not just their beauty. And I think that the more a kid, a young person feels loved, the less another outside influence would be able to influence them.
0: You know, that's a great point. Building up their self esteem, building up their self confidence, letting them know that beauty is not just based on the way they look or what they wear. I think for my, for, for my kids, I have two sons and a daughter. My youngest, especially since he's still in school, I think for him, of course, you know, I tell him I love him regularly, you know, I try and encourage him, tell him, you know, great job on test grade, great job of, you know, school today, great job of doing your chores, building up his self-esteem, letting him know that I'm proud of him. And for him, I think a lot of times with him, it's peer pressure from his guy friends to have to have a girlfriend and have to go. So far, I mean, like, I don't know if you remember, oh yeah, like back in the day, um, you know, kind of referred to as relationships as getting to second base, getting to third base. Do you remember that at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm kind of reminded of like some happy days um, and <laughs> some some old <laughs> happy days references of getting to second base, getting to third base. But I don't think that they call it second and third base these days. I haven't heard him mention that, but he mentions to me on more than one occasion About how all his friends have have girlfriends or all his friends are dating somebody and he has to date somebody. And that weighs on a kid.
1: Oh, yeah. And like you said, I mean, for us, I think it was the same. It was the same thing. The only thing is we didn't have the added pressure of seeing all your friends on Facebook and Twitter with their little boyfriends and girlfriends. But you don't have one. Something must be wrong with me. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. Now, my son does have a Snapchat. He's on Twitter, although not very much. But um, he uses Instagram and Snapchat a lot. And it's a lot harder to track stuff on Snapchat than it is on Instagram. And, you know, I mean, me being yeah. pretty pretty social media savvy, I've done research and I know ways that, you know, that, that you can track a history. But, I mean, Snapchat is something where, you know, you take a picture and it's gone forever. It's much more difficult to track. And, you know, I mean, short of not allowing him to even have the app, which I've considered at times, I'm right now at this phase of his life really kind of going through a time where I'm giving him a little bit of leeway and see how he handles it. So encouraging him all the time to be careful, to be wary, to come with me to questions, to don't be ashamed, to don't feel embarrassed. And, you know, it's it's really kind of a give and take thing where as they get older, they are going to need a bit more privacy. They are going to have to find some things out on their own. But I think it's just important to really stay in contact with them, to let them understand that no question is dumb or insignificant or bad or anything. It's really all about them looking out for themselves and, and being secure in who they are and knowing what they should and should not be doing and to really just be able to come to somebody they trust, like a parent or you know a caregiver, whoever's in their life that they can trust when there's something that, that they aren't sure of.
1: I can't even imagine what the pressure would feel like. You know, I was going to mention something uh, and that is with my excuse for not telling my mom was that she had too much to deal with, which she did, and I can't imagine. I don't know what would have happened had I told her. Uh, one, it would have completely messed up some family dynamics that ended up being messed up anyway. But in hindsight, what I found after my failed suicide attempt, I noticed for a year or two, my kids wouldn't tell me anything. So, I mean, it took me, and I was kind of glad because I was a mess. you know, I was trying to recover. But as I got better, I realized How bad it was that they were living this peachy life and they weren't telling me anything that that happened to them or was going on to spare me or in fear of, you know, will mom go off the deep end, you know, type thing. So when I realized that, you know, I'm like, you know, God saved my life so I could be here as your mom and it would devastate me to not be able to to fill that role. And so I had to give them countless reassurances that it doesn't matter what I'm going through. I want to know what's going on in your life, even if it's good or bad. I want to be here for you, because you need your parent, you know? And so, I don't have either parent, and haven't for many, many years. And I'm like, take advantage of having your parent, and trust, you have to trust them, that they've been there and done that, especially when you know stories like ours, that who better to ask in situations than somebody who's survived some things? So it's a lot better feeling now, when they do come to me, because even if it is hard to hear, because they know they can. And had my mom said that to me, I probably would have went ahead and went to her because we were really close. If I knew I could have, I probably would have.
0: For a lot of young kids and teenagers, they are very close with their parents. And that's amazing. In my case, I wasn't close with my mom at all. I was close with my dad, but I wasn't close with my mom. And that goes back to the, the invalidation and the emotional abuse and you know all the narcissistic stuff that happened. But I think in my case, I often question why I didn't go talk to my dad, but I think it's because I always felt like he would side with my mom or he would tell my mom when, you know, I didn't want my mom to know. So in my case, it was kind of a fear of would my dad say something to somebody that, you know, he shouldn't say something to, or can I really trust him? So even though my dad never broke my trust that I can recall, I was still fearful of telling him because of what he would tell my mom or tell somebody in the church. You know, looking back, it's very easy to shame myself for not telling my dad because that's a way that future events could have been prevented, but because of the fact that I was groomed and I was afraid and I was threatened, you know, my family dog was threatened, I just couldn't. So, I and you know, just to kind of wrap this up a little bit here, I think it's just, it really goes back to what you said. If you're really just being so open and honest with your kids and letting them know that it's okay to ask anything... And especially you and I and others who are listening, who are parents, you know, if we, if, if we are survivors, that really gives us an added dimension to understand what this feels like to watch for the warning signs and to really drive home the point to our kids that, you know, God saved our lives. You know, whether we were abused once or over years and years, we're still here. We want to help keep you safe as much as possible and empower you with the knowledge and the tools and the education and the self-esteem to know what's okay and what's not okay, and really just be comfortable in reaching out. If I can if I can leave everybody with one point here, and that is empower your kids to reach out and talk. I mean, it just sounds so simple, but as teenagers, we're so self-absorbed, and there's so many things pulling us in a hundred different directions, and we're so confused that it can be scary to reach out and ask for help.
1: Definitely. And you know, I think, and this doesn't happen all the time. Luckily for me, I had one to two people that I totally trusted that my kids knew that if there was ever a reason they couldn't come to me or they didn't feel like they could, that they could go to this one, one or two other people. Because sometimes you don't want to tell your parents. You know, like you said, you didn't want to tell your mom. And you didn't want, believe it or not, I've had coached men who have said that exact same thing. But a lot of times they didn't tell their dad about things that were going on because they had a controlling, narcissist mom. And so I think it's important, if you can, to have an outsider that not that maybe isn't a counselor. Because if you go to a counselor, sometimes that's scary enough that you don't want to tell them either because they have to report it to the authorities. So, you know, that's kind of like if you're suicidal, who are you going to call? So it's always important to have something in place. Because if you don't have something, then the alternative is not good.
0: What a great point, Kelly! I love it, and that's something I hadn't even thought about here for us to talk about: is having somebody as an alternative safe person, if at all possible. And I realize there are there are situations where that may not be the case, but if there is a trusted family member or friend or sibling or anyone, um, you know, not necessarily a counselor or a therapist, but somebody that we know. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, as much as possible, is a safe person that are you know that are that our children can go to if they're not comfortable reaching out initially to a parent. And you know, right? I wish I had that. I wish I had had that as when I was a kid. Um, you know, I did have older brothers and sisters, but they—my sister and my brother—are 12 and 14 years older than me. So I, I was essentially an only child for as long as I can remember. Right. So, but, you know, having somebody to confide in, what a great way to really um, give your kids an outlet, somebody to talk to that doesn't necessarily have to be a parent. It's a very empowering podcast that we've done here to really just bounce ideas back and forth and share some of our own experiences as survivors, um, as parents Raising kids in this world today with all the pressures of social media, and on this topic of uh, you know preventing childhood sexual abuse, I just I encourage everyone: do your research, educate yourself, talk with your kids, talk with your family, be open, be honest. Google preventing child abuse. There's all types of of, of resources and and support groups and things you can get involved in. So um, we'll wrap this up, Kelly. Go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you on the interwebs.
1: Uh, you can find me at the uh and all social media is The Survivor Coach, except for Twitter, which is Survivor Coach 16.
0: Thanks again for listening to Surviving My Podcast, sponsored by survivingmypast.net, a blog about my life with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD, and in support of all who have survived the trauma of abuse. This podcast or any resources sponsored by survivingmypast.net should not be considered as therapy or professional medical help. If you are in crisis, I encourage you to seek out the services of a mental health or physical health professional. I also encourage you to check out online crisis support from sites like rain.org, onein6.org, and the Samaritans. If you would like to be a guest on a future podcast, just contact me anytime through email, Matt at net, or use the contact forms on the blog. Thank you again for your support and encouragement, and always know that you rock. Talk to you soon.